So just as a raise of hands, who in here has seen the movie Aladdin? Either the uh, the cartoon or the, the real life, sort of, I guess, real life one with Will Smith. Doesn't matter which one. Raise your hand again. Be proud. It's a great movie, right? Okay, so here's the thing. When I first watched that movie, and I'm probably not alone in this, I remember thinking, boy, it'd be really nice to find a genie. Anyone else feel that as like, if I could just find a genie, maybe I should just go into some creepy caves and see what I can find? Like that, but it was one of those moments, it's like, if I could just find a genie, it would be awesome. And maybe I start having these wishes and these things in my life. It's like, okay, here would be my three wishes. And so here's what I want you guys to, to think about for just a second. If you found the genie, and you rub the lamp and it's like, I can give you three wishes, what would one of your wishes be? And we're gonna get to say a few of them out loud. However, I wanna just preface this by saying, we're all Christians. And so naturally, our, our first wish would be everyone would know about God. And, but here's the thing, Jesus gave that responsibility to us. We're not gonna palm that off on a genie. That's our job, right? But other than that, like what would be the thing, that one thing that you would wish for? Your one of your three wishes, what would it be? It's like you guys don't have a list and just ponder these things in case this happens. What would be the thing? You just shoot it out. It doesn't matter. No one's going to judge you. Financially stable. Financially stable. Yeah, good one. What else? Peace. Peace. A holiday home in Italy. <laughs> That's my wife, so that wish goes for me. So I get that anyway. Awesome. <laughs> Anybody else have anything? Like any wish they'd pop up? <laughs> so this week I was doing some reading and this is a very like important question apparently there's a lot of there's a lot of articles and a lot of blogs written about what they would wish for so here are some of the wishes that people had somebody kind of going with what Matt said financial stability they just said they would always want to have enough money they wouldn't ask for a certain amount but they just wanted to be in that moment where it's like if they just reach in their pocket they could pull out a hundred euro no problem they could go to the bank one day pull out a million euro no issues like they just always wanted to have whatever money they would want. Another person said they wished they could turn five euro into a multi-trillion euro business in two weeks. And I think that's beyond a genie. Like, that's more of a miracle. But anyway, like, that's, that's them. Uh, and then there was actually some, some serious ones. People said, like, I would like to be able to talk to a loved one who has died. Like, be able to speak to them again, because once, if you've seen the movie, you know genies can't raise people from the dead. So, like, that was a good one. Somebody also said that they would like to return to their optimal health, be back to their, their peak self of where they, they wish they could be back to. My favorite was one person said that their number one wish would be able to summon any cut of meat from any animal perfectly cooked at any time. I can get behind that, right? Just be like, hey, I want a ribeye, let's go. And it's just there, like, that'd be awesome. So here's this idea, like we start to think about a genie, thought of asking about wishes and things that we want. When we dive into our story today and we look at our story last week, there's this question that Jesus asked that's almost identical. It's this statement, it's like, what do you want from me? And I'll be honest, like how many people in the room would like Jesus to show up to you and be like, hey, what do you want from me? Maybe our list would be a little longer than the list that we would give a genie, right? Maybe we'd have some things, right? Some things that we would want to ask Jesus. Jesus, I want this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this for me. And like we just have all of these different things that perhaps we, we would want. 
But as we start out our, our, our time together this morning, as we're diving through these two questions, here's what I want to remind us of is, is Jesus is not a genie granting us whatever we want. Jesus is king ushering in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we're going to be studying and looking at today. Jesus is not a genie asking us, giving us whatever we want. No, he is the king of heaven who is ushering in the kingdom of heaven. Although Jesus asked the two guys, he asked James and John and Bartimaeus, what do you want from me? The replies are not, your wish is my command. Their replies are completely different. And so today we are going to look at why. What is it? Why does Jesus grant one, one request and not the other? So the question that we're going to wrestle with today is not how do we get what we want from God. The question that we're going to wrestle with today is what do we want from Jesus? Not how do we get what we want from him, but what do we want from him? Do we want the kingdom without the king? Do we want Jesus or do we want what Jesus has to offer? What do we really want? And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through Bartimaeus' story. Then we're going to lay his story by the story that we studied last week with James and John and see why does Jesus grant one request but not the other. And here's what, what we're going to see. As we dive in to Mark chapter 10, towards the very end, is this, if you're creeping track with the gospel of Mark, this is the final healing miracle that happens in Mark's gospel. There's one other miracle that's going to happen in Mark's gospel. Well, technically two. There's a, a fig tree, but then there's this, Jesus raises himself from the dead. But this is the last healing miracle. This is the last time that he is going to heal someone in the gospel of Mark. And so verse 46 starts out this way. When they reached Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was standing beside the road. Now, just to, to set a little bit of context so that we can understand a little bit what was happening here. If you remember, they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover. And God gives a law in the book of Exodus that each people, all of Israel, would have to go back to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. So actually, if you read through Psalm 121 through Psalm 135, that's actually called the Psalms of Ascent. These were the Psalms that they sung on the way to Passover. And so this is where the people are heading. They are heading to Passover. They're heading to the, the capital religious city. They are getting ready to go and to worship God. And there's Bartimaeus. He is setting up in this location because this is, this is prime real estate. Like, if you think about, like, Galway, you know, like, where the buskers are? Like, everybody's kind of fighting for that spot right in front of Evergreen, right? That's the prime location where all the streets begin to intersect. That's Jericho. It's like, this is the perfect location to set up if you are begging for something. This is the place. Because there is a bunch of people who are religious people who are making their way up to worship God. And so the hope would be we are going to, we're going to have a good score today. I'm going to be able to get enough to live off of because there's some religious people who are going to, to worship a God that says care for the needy. And so hopefully they're going to care for me on the way to worship that God. And so that is, that's where Bartimaeus is. And so he's in this moment of hoping, more than likely hoping, to, to leave there with a, a lot of gifts, with a lot of money. He has no idea that he is about to come encounter with, with the gift of Jesus himself. And as we look at this story, this story is actually recorded in Matthew and in Luke. Mark is the only gospel that names Bartimaeus by name. Why is that? 
Well, more than likely, one of the things that we know to be true is that Mark's gospel was the first gospel that was written. Mark wants to get his gospel down on paper as quick as he can. So when Mark writes his story, it is very likely that Bartimaeus is still alive. And so the, the, the idea here is like, hey, you don't believe me? Go ask, go ask him himself. Go talk to him. And also, like, it is likely that Bartimaeus has committed to being a follower of Jesus because the Christians who are reading the gospel of Mark can, can hear it, can go talk to him, can see him, like his legacy is in the church. And so, so Mark names him there. Let's keep reading verse 47. When Bartimaeus heard Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Here's what's fascinating is, is Bartimaeus clearly has started to hear some of the rumors about Jesus. Like some of the stuff that Jesus has done has undoubtedly started to circulate and he has heard about it perhaps. Perhaps Bartimaeus has heard about Jesus healing Lazarus in Bethany. Bethany is 12 miles away from Jericho. And so perhaps he's heard about what Jesus has done. Maybe he's heard about how the Sanhedrin wants to kill Jesus for being like uh, this, this being unsubordinate and just not really following along. And so perhaps he's heard all of these things and none of that matters because in Bartimaeus's mind, if Jesus can heal a guy, if Jesus can raise somebody from the dead, surely, surely he can heal him from his blindness. And so Bartimaeus doesn't really care about everything else that's going on. He has heard something about Jesus that says he can heal. And so he goes and he cries out. Listen to what he says. He says, Jesus, son of David. This is the only place in Mark's gospel that there is any connection to Jesus being part of David's descendants. This is the only place. So we're here 10 chapters in. Mark has never said anything about Jesus being the son of David. But Bartimaeus gets it. He understands. He connects who Jesus is. He thinks about all these other things, these prophecies about Jesus being the Messiah. And he's like, okay, this must be who Jesus is. Only, only Peter in chapter 8 connects Jesus to being the Messiah. And now there's, there's Bartimaeus and there's Peter. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David. And so he cries out, and the people are like, hey, buddy, be quiet. And he cries out again, and they're just like, just picture this like shouting match back and forth. That's what we see here. Look at verse 48. It says this. Be quiet, many people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. So notice this. First of all, they are rebuking the man. They're saying, hey, dude, be quiet. Why? We don't know why they rebuked the guy, but more than likely, the reason they are rebuking this guy is because he's a blind beggar. He is he's pretty insignificant in that culture and in that world. Like, he would have been way too unimportant to, to bother the important rabbi. And so they're like, hey, dude, you need to keep it quiet. Like, here's Jesus who's there, and, and he's important, and you're not, and we, we, we just, you just got to keep it down. But here's what we know to be true about Jesus already, is Jesus views no one as insignificant or unimportant. Jesus views no one as insignificant or unimportant. You think about the way that Jesus lived among people. Women in that society weren't valued. Jesus says, you matter. Children in that day were to be not even really seen or heard. They're just kind of there. 
And Jesus says, let the children come to me because they matter. People who are outcasts of society, Jesus says, they are welcome in my presence. They matter to him. And so regardless of how you feel about yourself, Jesus believes and he knows to be true that you are valued, that you are significant, that you are important, and you are cared for. And see, they they rebuke this man for crying out, for yelling out to Jesus. And man, part of me wonders if the reason they rebuke this guy is because he was kind of making a scene. If he was being a little bit loud, and, and here these guys are like, hey, buddy, we're trying to listen to the rabbi talk. Can you be quiet? We're trying to listen to the rabbi talk about our, how we need to love the needy. Can you, can you just hush for a minute? Can we just hear him? While all the while there's this needy guy shouting like, I've seen the irony in my own life. And like, perhaps that's what's happening. We don't understand here, but we don't know why they rebuke. But all we know is now there's this, this dialogue if you want to call it that. Somebody is shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Yo, be quiet. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Dude, keep it down. Jesus, son of, like there's this, there's this moment that's starting to build. Uh, There's this scene that's starting to play out. Good few years ago, Tiffany and I were at a coffee shop with, with a friend, and we were having a cup of coffee. And in the, in the chair or in the table, like two tables away from us, there was a, a breakup that was taking place. And it was very clear that somebody had given them the advice, make sure that you do this in public or it's gonna get out of control and it's gonna get wild because they were both pretty crazy. And like this breakup started happening and like, I am terrible. I'm just like, what is happening? And like, I'm trying to listen into this conversation, but all the while I'm trying to pretend like I'm listening to the conversation that we're having so I can listen to the breakup. And like, it just starts getting more awkward and more awkward, but it became one of those things, it was kind of the best way to describe it, was like a car crash in slow motion. You couldn't quite look away. You just kind of had to keep looking because there was this scene that was happening, and it was this craziness that was transpiring, and it was just, it was weird, and I couldn't look away. I just had to keep watching the scene that was being made and the scene that was building. And you guys, like, you know what that's like, right? You get, have you guys ever had one of these moments where maybe somebody's getting in a fight or there's just this scene that's being made and it's really awkward, but you can't look away? You ever had one of those moments? One of my favorite moments comes from the movie National Treasure 2 about a scene. And so I'm just going to play this for us. Oh, 
So there's a scene that's going on in the story, right? There's Bartimaeus, and there's the followers, and they're just kind of yelling back and forth. And here's what we find in verse 49. We don't know why. We don't know what is going to cause Jesus to stop. My guess, it's not the scene that's transpiring, but probably what he is yelling. But in verse 49, nonetheless, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, cheer up, they said. Come on, he is calling you. I don't want you guys to miss this. These people go from rebuking the man to telling him to cheer up. There is a, a shift that has happened. They've called him, it's like they've gone to tell him, hey, be quiet, and to now like, oh, hey, come up, come to Jesus. And this is the power of Jesus. This is what Jesus does. He moves in our life. He changes the way that we react and the way that we respond to people. Because when we remember the way Jesus loved people, we treat people differently. And they treat this man differently. They tell him to cheer up. And maybe as you think about that word, you think about that idea of like somebody who's really down and like, hey, cheer up, don't cry, they're there. But that's not actually the word that's happening here. The idea here is, is take courage, be bold, grasp your courage. And so why? Why would this guy need to do that? Why would he need to, to, to be bold? Why would he need to take courage? This is the same word Jesus uses for the disciples when they see Jesus walking on water towards them. This is what he tells them. Why, why is that the call? I mean, this guy is about to encounter Jesus. And I just want us to, to think about that for a second. We, Jesus is amazing. We love Jesus. But Jesus is also God. He is the Son of God, and approaching him is a pretty powerful thing. Approaching him is a pretty miraculous thing, and he understands in this moment that something crazy is about to go on in this guy's life. And here's what I want you guys to remember. If we look back last week, Jesus has gone to now. He is leading the charge of the people And Jesus is walking to Jerusalem with this crazy intensity that all the people around Jesus feel this, the the temperature in the room is changing. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. There's this intensity. He's heading there to the cross. And yet Jesus sees everything that's transpiring here in the midst of his busyness, in the midst of everything that is going on. Jesus is not too busy. He is not too preoccupied to care for the needy. Can I just ask you, is that the same thing for you? In the, in the midst of your life, in your busyness, in your schedule, like, is there room in your life to pause and to care for those who are needy? Like, I get this, guys. Like, I'm a type A personality. I love scheduling my days by the hour, sometimes by the minute. Like, that's my life. That's what I enjoy doing. But is there room in that to say, you know what, my schedule isn't as important as this needy person? Jesus is trying to get to Jerusalem, but there's a person in need, and that moves him. And so God's love for the lost, it should prompt us to care for those who are in need, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually in need. Like, it should move us to do the things that God does. It should move us to, to action. We don't turn away and avoid to make eye contact with the needy. We don't cross a bite on the other side of the street so we don't feel guilty when we come up on a needy person. We don't hit ignore on the phone call when the needy person calls us because we don't have time for their shenanigans. We don't do that because we have been with Jesus and our lives are different. 
I don't want you guys to miss this in verse 49. It says this. Jesus heard him. He stopped. This is so simple, but don't miss it. Jesus doesn't just hear. He stops. Jesus doesn't just hear. He stops. Maybe today, that's the truth that needs to sink deeply into your soul. That's the truth that needs to radically transform you. That's the truth that needs to go deeply into your bones today, that Jesus doesn't just hear you, but he stops. How would this change your life? Like, how would your prayer life be different if you truly believe that Jesus doesn't just hear, but he he stops? I mean, I think this would change the way many of us live our lives. It would change everything for us. Because here's the truth. When you are coming to God in prayer, he doesn't just hear you. He stops. And in verse 50, this is what it says. So Jesus stops, he hears him, he says, the people say, come to Jesus, and then we find this in verse 50. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. So what would have, what would have happened? This coat, it could also be this idea of a bedroll, and not like a bedroll that you eat, but like a, a rolled up bed. And so in that day, what a cloak and a coat would be, it would kind of double as a number of different things. And he would have likely had this completely spread out on the side of the road to collect his his gifts, to collect his alms. Jesus calls him, and he gets up, and he leaves it. You guys see the faith there? He realizes in this moment that if Jesus is calling me, I am not going to need this anymore. And maybe as we look at this story, there's a contrast that's being played out with the story of the rich man just a few verses back. If you guys remember, the rich man, Jesus says, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And he goes away sad. But yet, here's this guy who's like, he gives up everything to follow Jesus. And like, I want us to understand this. This bedroll, this, this cloak, this coat that the man has, it's not like one of 50 hanging in his closet. If you guys remember, he's blind. He is a beggar. What does that indicate to us? He has no family to look after him. He has no one in his corner to care for him. He has to resort to begging to make a living. There's no welfare system. There's no, there's no health care. There's none of that stuff going on here. And so because he has no one to look out for him, he's on the street begging. Likely the only thing that he owns is that coat. And he is willing to leave it for Jesus. And here's this idea is like maybe as we look at these two stories, we start looking at the contrast between the rich man who has to sell everything he owns and this guy who only gives up a coat. And maybe your objection to that might be, well, they, they have to give up a different amount of things, right? Like this guy is wealthy. He has a lot of stuff. This guy only gives, out a, a, gives up a coat. But here's what I want to remind you guys of. In God's economy, it is not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice, Both of these guys are called to give up everything. One guy, it's a coat. One guy, it's a lot of stuff. But in God's economy, it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. If you remember, there's one day the disciples, they're at the temple and they see all these people putting large sums of money in the offering plate. And then there's this poor widow who comes in and puts a percentage of a penny. And Jesus says, you see that? That was greater than everything else. And the disciples are like, 
Jesus, you need, to, you need to hire Sam. Your accounting skills are not very good. And Jesus says, no. They gave out of their wealth. She gave everything that she had. And in God's economy, this is, this is what we see. And so back to our story. This is really simple, but I don't want us to miss this either. Jesus said, come. And Bartimaeus came. Maybe you say, well, yeah, of course. If Jesus said, come, Bartimaeus came. He goes and he throws his coat aside. He says, I'm not going to leave that. I'm not going to need that anymore. Maybe it's something that's holding him back. Maybe it's something that's going to just keep him from getting to Jesus as quickly as he wants to and as quickly as he can. But Jesus says, come, and Bartimaeus came. And that is the call of the gospel and the call of the scriptures to every single one of us where Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. And so the question is, is that what we're going to do? When Jesus says come, as we see throughout the pages of Scripture, he has told all of us to come. Are we going to follow after him in a way that leaves all, everything that hinders us from following him behind? And just we chase after him. We pursue him wholeheartedly. Verse 40, 51 says this. What do you want from me? Or what do you want me to do for you? Jesus said, my rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And so this Jesus, or Bartimaeus calls Jesus, he says, my rabbi. And that word in the Greek is actually rabboni. And it's really fun to say. Like, this is what Jesus, he says, he goes up and he says, rabboni. So together, we're going to say rabboni because it's awesome. And it's as fun to say as you think it is. So on the count of three, we're going to say rabboni together. One, two, three, rabboni. This is what they're calling. That is the most personal term for a, for a rabbi that you can get. That is like, that is my rabbi. I identify with him. I am connected to him. He is mine. I am his. That's this idea. When he is shouting this, he is saying, Jesus, you are my rabbi. And here's the reality, is Jesus is already king and Lord and savior. The question for us is, is Jesus going to be your king, Lord, and savior? Are you going to make him your rabboni? Or is he just going to be some, some, somebody else's rabbi? Is he going to be your rabbi, your Lord, your king? And in verse 40, 51, again, it says, what do you want from me? He says, I want to see. Verse 42, 52, sorry. Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man can see, and he followed Jesus down the road. This is one of the few times in the Gospels where we see someone healed without Jesus touching them or without a command. You guys see that? Like, I don't really know how this happens. He just says, I want to see. Jesus is like, cool, done. You are healed. And it's like this amazing moment. But in this instant, something crazy happens for Bartimaeus. He is healed not only physically, but he is healed spiritually. Because now he's following after his Rabboni. He's following after Jesus. And in the reality, as we look through the scriptures, this is what God has always wanted. He doesn't just want us to be physically healed. He wants us to be spiritually healed. He wants us to be spiritually healthy. He wants us to be spiritually right. And just, we talk about this often when we talk about miracles, but I want to remind us of this, is that each healing, whether it's physical or spiritual, it gives us a view back 
to the garden, and it gives us a vision to the coming garden. Let me unpack this. Is every single healing that we see in the gospel, either with somebody who, like Bartimaeus who's blind and who can see, whether it's somebody who's demon-possessed and is now free from that, every single healing in the Bible, it gives us a picture back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where the world was perfect where there was no sickness, there was no death, there was no pain. None of that existed in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. And so every single healing, it reminds us of that. It's like, hey, remember when everything was right and everything was perfect and everything was shalom, that there's just peace in every direction? Remember that? And so when we see a healing, God is rem- Jesus is reminding us of that, but he's also reminding us to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where there's a garden and every tear has been wiped away, every hurt has been healed, every brokenness has been mended, everything has been made right, everything has been made new, shalom rules and reigns again. That's what a healing reminds us of, is there is coming a time when there's going to be no more need for healing. There is coming a time when all brokenness will be taken care of. There is coming a time when every right will be, every wrong will be made right. And this is what he's, there's this reminder here. And Jesus says to him, he says, your faith has healed you. So what is it? Like, what is the act of faith that actually gets the man healed? Jesus doesn't say, Mark doesn't say, I think that'd be really helpful for us if Mark put that in there. It's like, just so all of you reading in the 21st century, here's how you can know. Here's what healed the guy. We don't know. Is it this cry, though, of faith? Is this cry out to Jesus constantly refusing to be silenced? Is that what heals him? Is it the faith of him knowing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is king and he is Messiah, and I'm going to call out to him? Is that what gets him healed? Perhaps. Is it the willingness to trust Jesus for complete healing? We don't know. All we know is that his faith has healed him. All that we know is this man has heard enough to be true about Jesus that he is willing to give up everything and follow after him. And as we read through the Gospels, one of the things that we continue to see seven different times in Mark's Gospel, Mark connects to how Jesus honors persistent faith. So persistent faith moves the heart of our Father. And so let me just think about this for a second. What are some ways in your faith that you need to be persistent? What are some ways in your life right now and in your faith that you need some persistence? Maybe it's praying for that loved one or praying for that person to come to to know Jesus. Maybe you've been praying for them for a while and you're just like, I'm going to give up. Like they're not listening. It's not happening anymore. And maybe Jesus is saying to you, hey, you continue to persist in that. Or maybe it's the commitment to reading the scriptures. Or maybe it's commitment to some some spiritual disciplines. Maybe you're like, okay, I've been fasting, I've been praying, I've been reading my Bible. I don't feel any different. I don't know if anything's extra actually happening. I'm just hungry one day a week. I don't really know if anything is happening. And Jesus is saying, hey, you, you keep persisting. You persist in your faith. Maybe you're the only one and uh, only follower of Jesus and all the people in the circles around you and you just feel like giving up and like, you know what, this isn't worth it anymore. I'll just pretend that I'm not in this moment. And Jesus is saying, don't you dare quit. You persist in your faith and you continue living out the, the call that you have. I don't know. But this man, he persists. He doesn't. He refuses to be silent. He continues calling out to Jesus. 
And here, one thing I want to set up, though, I want a little bit of a nuance for us. Is just because perhaps your prayers aren't answered, it doesn't mean that you're not persisting in faith. I don't want us to have that weight and think, well, I prayed for this and it didn't happen, so my faith might not be strong enough. That might not be the reason it didn't happen. However, there is this moment that when we persist in faith, our faith is going to continue to grow and we're going to continue to get stronger. And sometimes God doesn't always do what we want him to do, but we, we know that God knows what's best and we can trust him and we can believe in him. And what we see in this story is this, is like this man might be blind, but he saw some things clearly. This man might be blind, but he saw things clearly. James and John, in the story that we're about to look back at, they see Jesus as this, this political leader who can give them this honor, this places of position and power. The religious leaders, they see Jesus as a threat, as a false prophet. The 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 yeah, Pharisees who have memorized over 600 prophecies to be true about Jesus, they don't believe in him. They don't see things clearly. But this blind man who can't actually see, he sees some things clearly saying, this is Jesus, the son of David. So let's put these two stories beside each other and see why does Jesus say yes to one request and no to another? This man, once again, in verse 51, he says this. Jesus asked, what do you want from me? My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. Then if we look in verse 35 through 37, James and John, the son of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit on the place of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your your left. So I just want to remind you, and the phrase that what do you, we want you to do us a favor, it's literally translated, do for us whatever we ask. And that idea, it seems to indicate that James and John already know that this request is going to be out of bounds. They already know this is probably going to be something that Jesus isn't going to give them. So if we can just get him to say, yes, first, Jesus can't lie. And then he's going to give us what we want. And obviously Jesus is too smart for that. But here's what I think is important. Is in this moment, what they're trying to do is they are trying to beat Jesus, they're trying to beat Peter to the punch. Because in Mark's gospel, every single time James and John is, is referenced, Peter is with them. Other than the time in, in Mark 1 when they're called to be disciples. Only other places here. So this is the one time that they have separated away from Peter. And so one of these moments, what we're seeing is here, they're trying to beat Peter to the punch. Jesus has already told Peter, Peter, you're going to be the rock. You're going to be the foundation of the church. And they're like, we've got to ask Jesus for these spots or Peter's going to take one of those too. He's already the foundation. We want to be on the left. We want to be on the right. And so they're trying to beat Peter to the punch. And Jesus, in this question in verse 32 or 36 and in verse 51 is, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? Just think about that for yourself for a second. What do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? Do you want Jesus? Or do you want what he has to offer you? Think about that for a second. Do you actually, do you want to live in deep relationship with him? Or 
do you just want to go to heaven when you die? Do you want to have the the abundant life that is lived through right relationship with God and and giving up all the other things of of this world to pursue him wholeheartedly? Or do you just want some fire, fire insurance at death? Do you want what Jesus has to offer you? Do you just want the kingdom without the king? Because the reality is it doesn't work that way. We can't have the kingdom without the king. We can't have what Jesus has to offer without Jesus. The reality is if what Jesus has to offer doesn't include Jesus, it's not really that good anyway. And so as we look at the difference of these stories, we see why does Jesus say yes to one and no to the other? I think it's pretty easy when we see the difference. We see what they ask for. James and John say, do for us whatever we ask. Bartimaeus says, have mercy on me. You guys see the difference? One is asking, give us the best seats in the kingdom. We want to be on your right. We want to be on your left. Bartimaeus asked for one thing. He asked for mercy. And it's in it's sight in this moment. I think this is significant. James and John are coming to Jesus thinking, I have a card to play. Thinking, we have a lot we can offer Jesus. Jesus, we've been with you for years. We've been through some things together. We've built up some some repetition. John, who writes the Gospel of John, is also known as the one that Jesus loves. He calls himself that, so take it for what it's worth. But like, there's this moment, right? They're like, we have some things we can offer you, Jesus. And we want to take these seats on your right and your left. And then there's this blind beggar who comes to Jesus like, I have nothing to offer you. I just need you. I need you. I'm in need of your mercy. I'm in need of your healing. I need you, Jesus. I don't want what you have to offer. I want you. And here's the thing. I want to make sure we understand. It's not wrong to ask Jesus for things. When we read through the Bible, like Jesus actually says in John 14, 14, he says, yes, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Now you can read the rest of John 14. There's a few stipulations around that, but, but Jesus wants us to ask for things. In James 2, or James 4, 2, it says, you have not because you ask not. Like Jesus, it's fine. He wants us to ask for things. And as a parent, I love when my kids ask me for things. Like, it makes me really happy when they come over and like, Dad, can I, can I have that? And they're cute, so it's hard to say no anyway. But I, I love it when they do that. I love when they say, Dad, can I, can I have a, a biscuit? Yeah, you're cute, go ahead. Or, or whatever it may be. Like, I love when they do that. I love when they ask me things. I love giving things to my kids. You know when I don't love when they ask me things for things? Dad, I don't want my ice cream, I want yours. Or Dad, I want your ice cream and my ice cream. Can I have the biscuit and the jellies at the same time? Can you do that for me? And these are all hypotheticals, right? That's not at all. But I love when they ask me for things, but it's when they're selfish. And it's like, I want what you have and I want what I have. Can I just have moms too? I just want it all. It's that moment where I'm like, okay, we've crossed the line here. The heart of something that begins to be wrong, it's not so much the request as it is the motive behind it. Same thing is true with Jesus. He's much, much better than me. Is he wants us to ask for things, but it's our heart behind what we are asking for. In that passage where James says, you have not because you ask not, the very next verse says, even when you ask, 
you don't get it because your motives aren't right. Because you don't, you're asking for all the wrong reasons. You're asking for only your own pleasure. And so here's what I think. Here's what I think the biggest difference between Bartimaeus and James and, or, yeah, James and John is. Is Bartimaeus realizes that he is in need of mercy. That's what he needs. James and John, they are painfully unaware of how much they need mercy. I think this is the difference. Bartimaeus knows I need mercy. James and John are like, I'm good. I'm doing well. Actually, I need a course. I need a good seat to seeing the party. And here's the reality for us, guys. If we fail to acknowledge, when we fail to realize that we are in need of mercy, we will never approach Jesus correctly. If we fail to remind ourselves that we are, we're the beggar, that we are in desperate need of him, we are never going to approach him correctly. And I think all that we need to know about Bartimaeus' story is in the tiny little detail at the end of verse 49, sorry, the end of verse 52. Says this, instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Don't miss that powerful last statement. And he followed Jesus down the road. Bartimaeus doesn't just want the kingdom. He wants the king. The indication here is as immediate as his healing was, was became the immediacy that he followed Jesus. He immediately gets behind Jesus and follows after him. He is healed, and then he goes and he follows Jesus. He doesn't just want what Jesus has to offer. He wants Jesus himself. He doesn't just want the kingdom. He wants the king. He legitimately follows after Jesus. And I think there's this parallel and this contrast that happens. James and John, they want places beside Jesus. Bartimaeus takes his role behind Jesus. He says, I'm going I'm to happy to follow you. I'm going to follow after you as, as my Lord. I'm going to follow wherever you lead. And so here's, here's the question that we're going to wrestle with at the end. It's a question I want you guys thinking about the rest of this week. Is how do you respond? How are you going to respond to Jesus' call? When Jesus says, what do you want from me? When Jesus calls us and says, come follow me, how are we going to respond? Are we going to respond the only appropriate way like Bartimaeus does in getting in line behind him, following him with our lives? Whatever he wants, you are my leader. I'm going to follow after you. Is that the way we're going to do this? Because what we see in the scriptures is the rich young man, he is told to come and he goes away sad. Bartimaeus is told to go but he comes and follows after Jesus. What's it going to be for you? And it must have been a shock for Bartimaeus in about six days when he witnesses with his own eyes the execution of the man who gave him his sight. Must have been a shock. When he sees the man who healed him dying on the cross to heal him for something that was so much more than he thought that he needed. So what's it going to be for us? How are we going to follow after Jesus? Do we want Jesus? Do we want him? Or do we just want what he has to offer? Because if we have the king, if we have the kingdom without the king, man, we're missing out. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. God, we thank you for the way that you love us, the way that you are good to, to every one of us. And Lord, I just pray that you will help us to 
to live our lives for you. God, maybe today there's some of us in this room that really don't want to live for you. They just want to enjoy what you have to offer. God, it's, it's not enough. It will always fail to satisfy. So God, I just pray that our hearts will be moved closer to you, that we will desire the king, not just the kingdom. Lord, I just pray that like Bartimaeus, man, we get in line behind you. We follow after you wholeheartedly and walk with you in the direction that you desire us to go. Lord, help us to live for you every single day of our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray.